0: everyone, welcome to Noun A Talk, the podcast all about nouns. This is a show where we interview members of the DAO and project builders in the ecosystem. I'm your host, CDT, and today I'm chatting with Winter and Hab. This dev and designer pair won a prop house round and shipped an alternative front end to the Noun's auction site that they dubbed the Noun's terminal. We chat about what it's like working in crypto versus big tech, their love for generative art, why the details matter, and what we can expect from them in the future. These two are two super talented folks that I have a ton of respect for, and there's so much more that we could have covered in this episode that we didn't get to. I'll definitely have to have them on again soon. As always, you can find Nana Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out on Twitter at CDT underscore ETH. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. hey good morning guys thanks for being here
1: morning good morning
0: so today we are chatting with hab and winter i'm really excited to dig into the work you guys are doing separately and together and just kind of hear everything you're working on both for nouns and in general
1: cool awesome yeah nice to be here
2: yeah excited to be here
0: yeah so before we really get into everything I know a little bit about you guys, but do you mind giving just a brief intro about who you are and maybe what you're working on as of today? Winter, we can start with you.
1: Cool. Yeah. So my screen name is Winter. I'm a software engineer. I've been doing this for maybe like 15 or more years. The last year I spent in crypto, getting into Ethereum and working on some anything that kind of catches my eye in the tooling or NFT space. And I used to work at a big tech Facebook, and then some startups. But now I'm doing my crypto explorations full-time.
2: I think my journey and career background is pretty similar. I haven't been doing this, you know, nearly as long. 15 years is a pretty significant chunk of time. But I guess I've been a designer for, you know, 10, 12 years or so with a similar background. You know, I've been in crypto working at Rainbow for the last just shy of a year now. Outside of that, I'm toying around with the of similar projects you know with winter a lot of the stuff we've worked on together before i guess big tech i was at meta and then prior to that i spent a significant amount of time working at discord
0: yeah so i am pretty interested in both of your paths but before we get into that could each of you kind of touch on winter you said you kind of joined the crypto space maybe a year ago how did you actually get crypto pilled and start building in the space was it someone specifically or a project that enticed you? or?
1: Yeah, that's actually Hub's fault because before last year, I was observing the space from afar. I've seen these waves come and go, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, it's another asset. It sounds interesting, but my main job is front-end engineering or full-stack engineering, and I didn't get... Too deep into that, but then during the summer last year, Hab reached out. He's like, "Oh hey, can you help me find somebody who knows this smart contract stuff? I need to figure out this NFT, and I need some help building a contract." I'm like, "Okay." I went on Etherscan. I looked at the source code of some examples that he gave me, and I was like, "Holy shit! Wow, this is so cool. Why have I not seen this before?" So that was sort of the beginning of the journey. And then I read the documentations, looked through many, many other projects, and it was like a rabbit hole. I was just completely sucked away. And yeah, so it's Hub's fault. Maybe Hub can talk more about this, but this is how I got started.
0: Yeah. And Hub, if you don't mind telling us when you joined crypto and then how you and Winter came together working on things. And again, you guys both worked at Meta Facebook, correct? So you guys were coworkers workers or knew each other?
2: Yeah, we worked together at Meta. That's how we knew each other previous to this. We had worked on a team for a good portion of our time there, or my time there. I had been there much longer. You know, I think the real serious start, similar to Winter, was, you know, with the project that we had been kicking off together. I got introduced to Ethereum back when I was at Discord with some friends that had worked there probably in like 2018 or 2017. I don't know. I just throw that time frame out because I remember CryptoKitties being pretty popular and I think that's sort of that era. I never really touched it for a long time until NFTs and some of the you know generative stuff came around that really grabbed my attention. And I think that sparked my interest in it again. Like you heard, uh, reached out to Winter and we kind of
0: got the ball rolling and kicked up some projects and dipped our toes in it from there. So speaking of Discord... I remember reading that you were a founding designer or the founding designer at Discord.
2: Yeah, I guess the founding designer. When I joined the company, we weren't actually Discord. I joined when we were making games. We were oh, we were called Hammer and Chisel. So I joined that the company working on the game as part of the game studio. But Discord was more of a side project with Stan and a couple of others that we eventually rolled into the, the full-time company project. And um, Sunset working on games and worked on Discord from there.
0: That's interesting. So that's kind of crazy. What stuff did you work on there that we see today? Like the original design of what Discord is now? Or,
2: Yeah, I guess I can't really say much of what you see today is Discord or how Discord is me. There's a bunch of features and things have developed over the years that I haven't been there, but... I like to think a lot of the design system that I have built and like the foundational work is still in play that you see today. A lot of the features I think I even designed are still in the app, either mobile or on like the desktop product.
1: Wow. Hub has shared some old screenshots that he has on his Mac with me. And it's crazy. Like you can see evolution of Discord's design system and just really cool. Like I feel like in a couple of more years, that set of screenshots will become an interesting sort of computing science artifact. This is how the project got started. You can see sort of some themes developed and some foundational things are left in place. Actually stole a bunch of ideas in the product that we worked together at Meta from this design system work that Hub was doing at Discord.
0: Wow. Yeah, your work is great. I mean, you and I have worked together on a project as well. So we'll get into that later. But I was going through your dribble looking at a bunch of old projects and things you had worked on. And something that was interesting to me is that it's kind of all over the place. Like you've designed and worked for so many different industries, right? Did you have a past in gaming? Where did Fates Forever come into play?
2: I've always been a big gamer. I think that's sort of where I got introed into design is through forums and MySpace. And the signatures. But that's also where like, I met Stan, who's the co-founder of Discord. We played Final Fantasy Eleven and met through there. And I think some of my more early design work was helping him out on some of his side projects. He had this guild work, which eventually led into the idea that was Discord. So I think gaming had always sort of been in my design background because I'm a big gamer. And even today, I spend a good portion of my free time playing games.
0: Yeah. And Winter, you mentioned that you were reaching out to Hab for a
1: project, what project was that? So it's actually Hub reached out to me asking for if I could help or could find somebody who could help with the smart contract. That was the beginning of the project that we called Code Makes Art. So it was a generative art piece kind of similar to the way Art Blocks works with our own twist on it. But I guess one thing that we haven't gotten into is that Hub is a sort of designer who codes and I'm a sort of engineer who designs a little bit. So I felt like our skill sets were very much mixed and, and complementary and, and sort of formed the gradient where it starts on the design and ends on engineering, but we kind of fill in a bunch of spots in between both of us. And Hub reached out with some prototypes of his generative piece that he wanted to put on chain and make it like an NFT project. And as I explored the tech, I felt like it's very doable, it's very awesome. There are a lot of interesting things that can be done with it. And we just got started. We we jumped onto it. And now this exists as code makes art.
0: Yeah, I saw the platform because that's where you guys released was it
1: Quasars? The first collection was Geomes. Okay. You can see on the website, yeah, it it has a link for it.
0: And was this supposed to be a platform for maybe other people to create generative art as well and release it?
1: That was our initial aspiration. We wanted to fill in the space and understand how it works under the hood, both technically, but also socially and from the marketing perspective, understand basically every single bit of the process. And then our goal was to essentially make this a platform where anyone could submit their art piece and then we would provide some tooling and help promote the art and stuff like that. During this time, we actually developed a bunch of really cool tools that I don't think existed at the time where as a generative artist, you could see hundreds or thousands of pieces at the same time. As you tune your algorithm, you could tune the rarity, you can tune other parameters and kind of see them live in many, many, many states so that it lets you kind of get a sense of a collection versus doing it one by one. And we felt like a bunch of these tools could be useful to the new artists coming to space so that was our aspiration
0: and so what happened next or where does code makes art stand today what happened with that project
1: we launched one collection which it caught the tail end of the nft summer and it instantly sold out we didn't expect that we just wanted to see where things go and basically built it for our own sake and it was very surprising that it totally sold out within like a couple of hours and we started working on the next version of that and I remember spending many, many days and hours at night sort of hacking away at all these beautiful features that I imagined in my head, but the market tides were shifting such that these projects were not as much in demand and also we didn't have a very strong connection to the artist community, which is what you kind of want if you want to build a platform. So. I signed up my friend who built the next sort of generative piece called Quasars. It's actually really cool under the hood. It doesn't use any JavaScript libraries. The code is very succinct, but it has this pseudo 3D stuff. And after we launched, it was kind of very slow for a couple of months. And early this year, it actually sold out the whole collection. And we kind of felt like that collection is more technically advanced and is interesting in many ways, and we've learned a ton. But at the same time, the same velocity that we saw in the summer in the market wasn't there. And we didn't have a very strong ties to the artist community so that we could recruit new artists all the time. So at this time, we are not actively working on the project right now, but we still support it. It still exists. It still serves the assets and metadata and stuff like that. And yeah, we just switched focus to some other things.
2: I still use the tooling all the time. The tooling is super helpful. And I put stuff out on FX hash or just you can develop and play around on my own time and just for myself. And I think that stuff has been able to like help me hone some skills and fine tune in a way that I didn't before. So super appreciative of those regardless of where the project went
1: yeah and that's kind of the thing that i see this pattern all over the crypto space in general is that like you come in with a project idea and have a very strong sense of what you want to build but then as you build it you build something else on the side that helps you build the original thing but the original thing doesn't get traction or is not relevant or the market doesn't want it or you know there are some technical limitations with that but the things that you build on the side are actually what's interesting and useful so the same story as hub has with the discord right like they worked. On a gaming company and they built a chat for themselves and then that chat actually grew into a project that is super useful so i feel like in the codemix our hub is right like the tooling that we've built could be a very useful thing so maybe i should just take some time and open source some of these things and make them available because i feel like those are super valuable and we notice this pattern throughout all projects that we kind of touch is that sometimes the side thing that you build to help the project is actually really really useful
0: Yeah, I love the idea of like a tool that's useful to other people coming about because you were a user of the tool that you built because you needed X sort of thing. Winter, that sounds a lot like the hot chain SVG, right? That you guys built for WatchFace's world.
1: Exactly. Yes, that's another thing that I had in mind. WatchFaces is our project with another designer, and we kind of wanted to build something very different, something that takes advantage of the on-chain medium and, and pushes that as far as we can. And as part of that, we noticed that there is no really good tool to iterate on your SVGs on-chain. You would write some code and then deploy it and then look at the testnet in OpenSea or something, and it just looks ugly or something is wrong. And this process was so slow. And I've seen this happen throughout the tech industry all the time, is that you start with the slow processes. And then the game changer would be something that reduces this uh, iteration cycle to seconds or milliseconds. And so Tyler and I, we basically built that to help us ship watch faces. And overall, the project and the hot chain SVG, the side thing took the life of its own. I know a lot of projects that use it to iterate on their on-chain art. So that's kind of cool to observe.
0: Yeah. Can you give an example, call one out like a real project or an example project of how someone could use that tool apart from interacting with watch faces at all?
1: We extracted the tool into a GitHub repo. It's under winter slash hotchain SVG. You would just clone the repo and then it has some setup with Solidity code. And when you run it, you can open it in the web page that has your SVG running. So you would Make some changes, save, and then instantly see the changes in the browser. So it's like React Hot Reloading or some other hot reloading libraries that you see out there, but it works with Solidity code. So it compiles in the background, deploys it into a tiny testnet that we have in process, and then it renders the thing. I built a tool that allows you to list a project on the hotchain SVG website that uses hot chain SVG. There is Gouds, Connectic Spectrums, Rune of if That's my project, actually. There has been quite a few that use that. But the thing is, you won't be able to tell. Like, if you look at the project, you can't tell that they use HotChain SVG because it's a dev tooling that you use during the dev time. And it's not something that you deploy to the network. So it doesn't have any watermarks or, or prints, etc. It's basically a public good at this time. I'm happy to see this space develop and people use this tool. And I feel like it just pushes things forward for everyone, which is really great.
0: Yeah, again, it's really cool to put out a project that collectors and users enjoy. We'll get into WatchFace's world more in a bit, but, you know, it's this project people can buy and enjoy. But at the same time, what was birthed out of it is this other tool that people who don't care or know about WatchFace's world can enjoy. Maybe they're not end users, they're other creators or builders, and they benefit from the project maybe without even knowing or caring about the base project
1: exactly and like it's a beautiful thing because now more projects exist that wouldn't have existed because this tooling enables them to thrive and to even be possible like there are some complex things that i've seen that i would say are not super possible if you don't have a tooling with the instant feedback like this and it's just nice to see like this is great
0: yeah i'm a huge proponent of building in public making everything available just sharing everything I want to go back to something we touched on, because during my super in-depth research, <laughs> I noticed that back in your history, you were also a dev, as Winter said. I'm sure you still code today when you need to. But in your work history, your path, at what point was the decision to kind of go deeper into the design field versus become an engineer?
2: Honestly, I think it was pretty early. My first couple of jobs out of high school were working on WordPress websites and doing PHP stuff. And I considered myself an engineer at that time. And I was working for a really small local studio. And I don't even know if I would call them a studio. There was like five of us that worked there. And we were so small. So instead of doing the engineering work and building some of these templates, I started focusing more and more on the design since we had more like custom requests from the clients and people that wanted to like iterate more and more. And we just didn't have a designer in-house. We were just all a bunch of teenagers building the the websites. And I think that's when I really started focusing. And then when the iPhone came out around 2007, I think that's really what grabbed my attention is the different medium and stuff that you could touch and directly manipulate. And then I really dove into mobile design and took a focus from that.
0: But do you still code at all today when you need to on different projects?
2: Yeah, I don't think I would say I ship production code. I can do enough where if there's stuff built, I can go in and edit it and play with it a little bit here and there. And what's it called? GitHub Copilot does amazing job for me too. They're my best friend. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely don't ship production level code. And I, I don't think I would like start a project from scratch myself. I don't think I would be that confident, but I definitely can do some mostly web related and JavaScript related
0: Yeah, but still super powerful to know that. I mean, there's the age old saying, should designers code or should devs design? I've heard it both ways. But it's funny because it sounds like both of you do both. And I mean, Winter, you've shipped a ton of small projects. And it's funny because you've shared Figma artboards and stuff, and it all looks really good. I don't know if you would consider yourself having design chops as primarily being an engineer. But at the same time, it's definitely a skill you're working on and developing, and it's cool to see that.
1: Oh, for sure. I think my answer would be very much a mirror of what Hub said, but with the design flipped to code, and where like I can't start a project from scratch myself because it just looks plain ugly and it frustrates me when I look at it and it's just not to par with other projects that I've seen. But when Hub has designed something, I can duplicate his frame and then make some adjustments and go from there and it's a lot of fun. And we actually spend a bunch of time together in Figma just playing around with concepts and I would fork something and play with it, adjust it, and then Hub would come in and clean it up so it actually looks really good and production ready. So I have a ton of fun with this. I don't think it's for everyone, like this question of like, who should designers code or should coders design? It's perfectly fine to follow what feels right to you. But to me, for example, it really feels very much fulfilling to go in and help with the design stuff and implement it on the engineering side and i feel like knowing the two i can in my head judge some trade-offs or make some choices that a pure designer or pure engineer would not make and this is really fun i feel like i'm closer to the user i'm closer to actually the product and and making product decisions this way sitting in, in between the two disciplines
0: yeah and i mean you get to go farther faster it's funny I was on Twitter and someone released a project. You'll have to correct me here. I feel like it was a project to check out unverified contracts from Etherscan or something like that. And you I mean it was within like an hour or something, you had like built a front end for it. And it looks great. It may not win design awards, but it's not HTML. Like it looks good. With your combined skill set, you can just ship something like that, both technically and looks
1: good. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I I don't think it looks amazing, but I tried to just make it a little bit nicer than just a plain old unstyled content. It was a fun project to make. I was kind of bored at the end of the day, and I thought the hack of looking at ABI and extracting selectors from there was very clever. And I struggled myself with seeing this unverified contract and just not knowing what it is for. So I felt like this was a good tool to make.
0: And for those listening who may not have the context, can you explain verified versus unverified contract and maybe what this was?
1: Yeah, so I'll actually take a step back and say that uh, this Mechanic is responsible for me actually joining the Ethereum space. The idea is that on Etherscan, you can see all the transactions from the contracts and other users. And there is a functionality within Etherscan where you can upload the source code of the contract that you've built. And Etherscan will compile that source code and make sure that the byte code matches that source code. So it like verifies that this source code actually produces what is on chain. And I think it's extremely useful because you can take a peek at how the code works. So from the learning perspective, it's instrumental, but also from the security and audit, You're interacting with a contract, you can actually take a pick under the hood without having to disassemble the bytecode, etc. You know that this Solidity code actually produced the specific bytecode. But not all contracts are this way, because there is a lot of auto-generated contracts or contracts that deploy other contracts that are not verified. So you cannot easily look into the source code. And at least with this ABI reversing tool, you can take a look at what methods it supports, or at least estimate which methods it supports. So it can say that, oh, this is a router for the Uniswap like AMM, or this is something like an NFT project, or this is something like a bot or a general contract that does some general things. And where can people find that? Oh, it's abi.winter.xyz, and winter is with w one t n t, 3 r um, basically I replace the i and e with one and three, yeah, dot xyz. You can find the link on my Twitter profile, I guess, and follow that to to find ABI.
0: Nice. And where did you guys each get your names or pseudonyms from? Like, why winter, why hab, or habarim? Where does that come from?
1: Winter, I needed a separate account for my crypto explorations. I decided to go pseudonymous on my crypto journey just because it felt like more fun and more fitting and I have zero regrets on that. It's just been a lot of fun, but picking a name is hard. Naming things is the hard computer science problem. I choose winter because I felt like when creating that account that we're in this NFT summer and then sometimes at some point winter will come and I don't know, I felt like the builders are usually hunker down during the winter and build some stuff. So that was my general gist of how I picked it and just went with it. And then I guess my limiting factor was Seen which ENS names were available at the time. And I was unfortunately discovered that there is a bunch that are taken by name squalor people who have like a thousands of them. But I managed to find something that worked for me.
0: Have you ever tried to reach out to winter.eth like with no numbers? Have you found the
1: person? I have found the person. I reached out and they haven't replied. So, mm. so Hab, what about you?
2: I've been using Hab forever. Mine's probably a similar, but I needed a name. Back when I was thirteen or fourteen, I started playing Final Fantasy XI, which is the big MMO that I played forever, and eventually led to like meeting Stan and the Discord stuff and all of that. But you know, I didn't really play games online competitively or like really outside of the shooter stuff on Xbox. So I needed a name that wasn't my own. So I looked around, and Haberum is like a legion of hell that goes around and like put cities and castles and a bunch of other shit on fire. So that felt relevant and fitting to playing a black mage, which was like the role I was going to play in the game. So I guess that's how I picked it. And through the years, it was just always available every time I started something new. So I stuck with it.
0: That's awesome. I love that you've had it since you were a teenager. That's kind of hilarious. It was just a gamer tag and might as well just transfer it over.
2: Yeah. You know, you eventually meet people online and use it as your name or go from forum to forum. And similar to the crypto space, I think it's just something that carried through. Yeah.
0: So where did the love for generative art come from? What's your generative art story? And can you kind of touch on FX Hash and collections you've put up there?
2: I think generative art for me is like the perfect medium, I guess. I don't really consider myself much of an artist or like, A traditional designer, as a product designer, I put lines and squares and circles on the screen and some formation. And a lot of that is through manipulation and like trial and error. Whereas I think traditional art is a little bit less forgiving in that manner. So generative art sort of crosses that line where, you know, I can try some stuff out, see how it generates some outputs, change it a little bit later come up with some new rules and apply it and then figure out my rules from before didn't really work and, you know, manipulate all of them sort of as I go to find a new output or what feels good in the end through a bunch of, like I said, different iterations and without generative art or, you know, even the the logic behind the scenes, it's pretty hard to do that.
0: Yeah, you say (laughs) you may not be the best artist, but I really love A lot of these. I mean, just going through the collections, the window view one is amazing. And going through the, is it GEI or GE1 and 2?
2: Yeah, 1 and 2.
0: Those are beautiful. Technically, for either the devs or designers listening, like, how do you do that? Someone who's maybe never made generative art, what are you actually doing at your computer to play around and kind of make this?
2: A bunch of if-then rules, I guess, with different logic applied to them, I guess is the simplest way to put it the GE1 and 2 are just different grids so i think the logic of most of these is defining the size of the grid and the number of boxes that you want in it and then from there you'll pick from the random assortment of like different ways to generate the styles within that so one of them is like different line Ornaments and other one of these other ones is like just different fill shapes and colors. So you can get kind of creative with the different ways of selecting the outputs and the palettes and the different combinations of all of that. Then it grabs a bunch of these different randoms and puts them in the output and it'll generate one of these for each of the seeds.
0: Yeah. And I remember you tweeted some screenshots of, I'm guessing another piece. I don't know if you ever released them or not, but they look like colored waves stacked on top of each other. It reminded me of the Meridians. In kind of a more minimal way, but they were really beautiful.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I have a bunch of stuff that I just kind of play around with that I probably should release that I haven't. I'm really interested into fxhash, I guess, to answer that question first. It was really, I think, going back to CodeMixArt, if we really boil down what the initial idea was, I think fxhash was kind of it plus more. And it just did such a great job of executing some of what we wanted to do. It like totally stole my attention for a while. And I put some stuff out on that. And I think that also helped me develop my skill set and encouraged me to learn. And people are sharing their code and a bunch of their repos. And I don't really think I had a community or there was as much generative art being shared prior to that.
0: Yeah. So if someone's listening and has been intrigued by generative art before, but doesn't know where to start, what would you recommend? How does someone get started kind of messing around and creating a collection?
2: p JS, and then there's a bunch of really great tutorials, Coding Train in P5. They just kind of, it's a single guy. And there's a bunch of great video tutorials that go through kind of the basic concepts of all of P5, which I think is the starting JavaScript library for generative art that most people get their hands dirty with. That's sort of where I started. And like I said, a lot of the tools that had made for us kind of took it from a hobby thing to something I felt more comfortable sharing because I was able to fine tune more of the parameters or seeing a wider spread of the output.
0: Yeah. And if you had to release your next collection, do you have an idea of what that would be from your personal backlog, just kind of sitting on it?
2: I have a couple of these ones similar to the grid experiments that you mentioned before that I think have been pretty interesting that I just need to bundle up and get out there. But Winter and I have been talking about maybe pushing one of those through something a little bit past my skill set with this help that I'm pretty keen on exploring later when we have more time, which is similar to the Tyler Hobbs one, where we might have some controls to let people generate their output. So we've been thinking about taking a couple of my previous explorations and making them one larger one. So there's more iterations and controls and selections and toggles for you to pick through.
1: Yeah, I guess I can speak a little bit to that is I think the QQL I've had this thread on Twitter, and I'm pretty convinced that this is a really cool mix between generative art producing a piece and then a human being curating the pieces. And we see this with AI, a big part of the job of people who make AI art is to actually curate and like figure out what works and what doesn't and kind of explore some prompts, etc. And with QQL and some other generative art ideas that Hub and I have, it would be cool to allow people to like take the algorithm as a seed and then add their own judgment and pick some pieces that resonate with them. And that creates a collection that reflects not only the algorithm, which is just random but also the human aesthetic sense which i think is really cool
2: yeah i've even ran into this myself with fx hash like if you publish a project you can either allow people to iterate through and preview like any generation or like any seed that it can generate or handpick a couple of them or a dozen And it's like oh cool i want to handpick a dozen of these but going through each of it is pretty hard and just having that mental decision and like process of like which is the one you actually want to showcase feels like it would be fun for everybody else to kind of go through
0: yeah, I'm not really familiar with the QQL project. I know it's Tyler Hobbs's new project. but Can you explain maybe what makes it novel or interesting?
1: So they published the algorithm so you can come in and set some parameters, but also it uses your wallet seed to generate random pieces. And you can generate as many as like thousands of them. And I think... So far, they have generated more than a million of these pieces. So this algorithm just exists, and it's free to use, and everyone can play with it. But then there is a collection on top of that, which consists of 999 NFT passes that you can use to mint any one of these generated pieces, which means you have millions and millions of outputs, but then only a thousand of them, roughly, can be minted into an NFT, which means that this process itself is valuable. Like People value these passes, maybe because of the teller's name or maybe because other reasons, you know, loving the project, etc. But now there is really economic gap in just playing around and minting. And that means that stuff that is minted is really curated by human choice. And if you find QQL collection in OpenSea or whatever, you see the hand-picked ones and they all are beautiful in their own way. They're clearly generated from the same family of algorithm, but each one of them has something interesting to it. And because they are limited, like they are less than 1% of pieces get minted, you get the selection process where the pieces are not only clever generated, but also handpicked by humans to like look nice or to mean something. And I don't know, this process of like combining a human judgment and a machine is very symbolic to me and feels like really cool project in general idea.
2: Yeah, I even talk about wanting product design to go this way in some essence. like I would love to have some machine iterate through a couple of options that are predefined by the design system. And then from there, as a human, you can curate the best output and fine tune. That would save a lot of time. So just stuff like this in general has been kind of interesting for us.
0: Do you mean kind of like a design co <laughs> like GitHub?
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of matured products have a design system that has a ton of rules that are already baked into it. So there's not much flexibility you can really do on um, the design side. There's a bunch of these toggles and props and things that you can change. So if there's a certain limit to that, can we make that a bit easier or just bypass the time that it takes to manually swap through some of these with a copilot and then from there use our judgment to iterate on it?
0: Yeah. So for something like that. What would an example of like the actual input be? Like, how much
2: would a designer be doing versus what would be spit out? I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm totally spacing. But I guess I would think, okay, I'm doing this onboarding screen or flow. So what would it look like the next button was in a couple of different colors or a couple of different sizes, and the intro text went through, you know, our two different body copies and primary, secondary. And then from there, I would get a couple dozen screens that kind of highlighted the concept and then you would fine tune from it.
1: I guess I myself do this role when I'm designed with Hub, which is like, he would have a screen and I would copy the screen and mess around with it. So like, what if I was replaced by an AI or some algorithm that basically takes the screen and then messes with the props inside the screen and like tries to relay out it in maybe a dozen ways. And then as a designer, you would be like, oh, this actually looks like an interesting design direction. And you pick that, and then it creates 10 more iterations from that. And then you kind of keep exploring, going this path until you find something that maybe you wouldn't reach linearly thinking from the first principles, you wouldn't end up on that. But because you kind of went in this exploration mode, you actually found something that is interesting. The other approach is using human language as an input. As Hub said, you like specify, Hey, I want an onboarding screen with two buttons, and then it would generate a bunch. Both have pros and cons, but both certainly interesting to explore the design space. And I think those are different from Copilot because Copilot's job is to actually make a useful run in code versus in the design space and in generative art as well. The goal is to sort of inspire and make something that resonates emotionally or gives you an interesting idea versus something that is final and guaranteed to work.
2: Yeah, that iteration process is something they hammer into you really early in design school. If you're looking to make a logo or any type treatment or whatever, they're like, just make 50 or 100 of them. And if you like the 10th one or the second one, keep going because you're likely to find something that will inspire you down the road or like that you can pair with the one that you liked right away and make them just that much better because you're kind of pushing past your first thought.
0: Yeah, I wanted to move on to some more of your personal projects for each of you. But I did have one question before tailing off of that. I've noticed in the way that both of you work and have just for everyone listening, you're responsible for the prop house, the main project I work on. You've done the redesign for it. And it's been amazing working with you. And I think it looks great. And it's just been great seeing your process, how you prototype so quickly and really amazing, to be honest. But Looking at some of your other projects, both of you, I've just noticed personality in your work. Hab, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're responsible for the Taste the Rainbow functionality when you highlight something on the website. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, for the Rainbow Kit docs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you go to the Rainbow Kit docs, for those listening, if you just highlight something, I mean, Rainbow has what, maybe five primary colors. And every time you highlight, it just cycles through those colors. And I was using Rainbow Kit and I picked up on that. And then Winter, just to give a small example, on Button.lol, I ended up claiming some clicks, right? I just ended up using it for the first time. And I can let you get into what Button.lol is. But as the transaction was sending, the button just started shaking. It was just interesting. It started shaking like, I don't know, it was like cute. I've just noticed you guys put these little bits of like personality that you don't have to. And I think that stuff goes above and beyond. And I'm curious if you could speak to that when you're designing or coding something like why even do that instead of just make this stuff work in its baseline format?
2: I mean, it's pretty simple for me. It's like the better question is why not do that? I think we're here to have fun and that stuff is fun. And I like to have enjoyment and work on the projects that I work on. And I think without being able to do some of that stuff, this would be a little bit more dry. I agree with you. And I
0: try to do that with my personal work. But kind of in general, I don't see those little sorts of things because it's frivolous or like a lot of times it's just about getting to something that works, right? We're just worried about shipping. We're worried about something that works. But I do think personality matters with all this stuff.
1: Yep, I guess I could speak to that a little bit. Before the term MVP was coined, like MVP, minimal viable product, I think it was mid 2010 or like early 2010s where that was coined. I started my engineering career before that in iOS. So I was building iOS apps and was in this iOS community, and this community actually valued a lot the attention to detail. I could spend days with my tech lead perfecting an animation or perfecting the transition between one state to another state that gave the app character. At the time, a site existed that was called Little Big Details, and it listed many, many hundreds of these products that put in little delightful things into different places. And To me, it was sort of the codex of good design and engineering is that your app would have personality and you would have to think about not only the purely functional aspect of it, but also add some character to it, add some detail, add some delightfulness. And this approach carried through, I think the industry overall started gravitating towards this MVP approach, which is like ship something really quick, as fast as possible, kind of get the feedback from users. And that sense of craft was kind of removed slowly from the industry metagame. But to me, this is how I work. When we spent a time on the announce auction UI with Hub, I've spent some time thinking like, what are the little details that make it pop? That when you notice, you're like, oh, wow, that's something that shows how much attention and love we have for the product we do. And I think it carries over. I hope that sort of impression, even if only 1% of people notice it, it carries this idea to them and sort of makes their work or consider their work up in the game, I guess. And when faced with time decision, right, like you have to spend time on something, you have a functionality, or you have to refactor your database, or you can put this little detail, like what do you do? And it's a hard struggle. And if you at a big company, for example, at Facebook, it was very hard to justify these things. It's basically only carried by the people who care about this is when you see these delightful details in the applications. You can know for sure that it was not planned. It's not like a PM having a meeting trying to get everyone aligned on this little detail. It's basically somebody's willingness to make an amazing product that manifests itself in these details. And to me, when I see work that has some of these aspects. My level of respect to people who've done it just raises a a tenfold. I know that these people care. I know that these people have been in the industry a while or share my values, I guess. And I feel like there is a lot of joy in, in making these details.
0: Yeah, I notice it. And whenever I see those sorts of things, it makes me step back and kind of reassess everything. Because if the time is taken to do something like that, Maybe I haven't seen the regular stuff through the right lens, right? Maybe the stuff that just is there, maybe like deeper aspect or more user-friendly aspect I hadn't considered. I'm really glad we touched on this because it's not something, at least me personally, I see or pick up from a lot of people and I've noticed it just in both of you. And so it's just really interesting that you guys are working together, that we're potting together and talking about this, but I appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. Very few people know this, but that's very delightful to know that, that you care. Yeah,
2: I agree. And that's probably also why we like working with each other so much. I think because we enjoy similar things and prioritize those or want to put those at least in some way with most of our projects. You know, it's a lot easier to have those conversations about priority or if it's worth the time when we have similar beliefs on it.
1: Yeah, like you don't have to argue that this is more important than this database feature or this other thing. If you're on the same page, it makes everything so much simpler.
0: Yeah, I feel like at this point, you guys could come up with any idea and you guys are so excellent at each thing that you do. You could get any new project kind of out the door in a week, no matter what it was. But both of you worked at Meta. And Winter, I'm not sure if you, I and mean, you don't have to say anything. I don't know if you have a full-time job or whatever, or it seems like you're just shipping personal projects all the time. And have I know you work at Rainbow. What was the transition from like one of the biggest companies out there, as big tech corporate as possible, to working at somewhere like Rainbow, smaller, more personality, startup, et cetera. And then Winter, what is your work life week look like now as well?
2: For me, the transition, I think, was more going back to something I was comfortable with and more familiar with. When I left Discord, we were a pretty small company. I can't remember how big we were, but we were probably like 100, 100 and some people. And the design team was still hovering around 10 or 15. So that's relatively small, right? And then I joined Facebook, the Messenger team. And when I joined there, we were 35, 40 people. So still relatively small. But through my years at working on Messenger, we grew to 200 and some people all up in the product design org, which was huge. And I think I just grew with that. And there's pluses and minuses that come with that. Things you'll definitely enjoy. I love the people I work with. I work with some talented people, but just the politics and the size and the amount of work that needed to get things on the board and done was not really my comfortable place to be. And going back to Rainbow where, you know, our design team is back to four people. It's just great for me. It's like much more my comfort space. It's much more the way I like to work. And uh, I get to do credit and see all of the design team every time instead of just a portion of people. And I think that you can see that within the work we produce and the quality of the product.
1: Yeah, I kind of have a similar thing. I've spent a lot of time at Facebook. We're talking like more than five years. And through my time, I switched teams trying to find zero to one product, something that was just getting started. I was lucky to get into some open source work that Facebook has done. I was part of the early Oculus, the product developments and Messenger as well. And through all this projects I really valued a small team execution focused mindset where like you would try to get as close to your users as possible sometimes interviewing them in a one-way mirror room and observing them use your product like this brings me a lot of joy of working on the product but as the company grew it just became much harder to find this type of work as I've mentioned like if you want to get anything done of significance you have to get it through a bunch of political pipes and understand the incentives etc and that game was just not as fulfilling so So I left in 2021, and then I joined a smaller startup, which I had opportunity to work on some, you know, zero to one things, and it was a lot of fun. But in the end, when I discovered the crypto space and saw the tech, at this point, I decided to myself that the space is in such an interesting place right now that it's not going to last forever. At some point, overall, on the global scale, it will turn into the Facebook of itself, like if it's successful which is a good thing, right? Like it would gain a lot of regulation, it would get a lot of competition and race to the bottom on the economic side of things, and then race to the top on the product side of things. And I felt like now it's still in sort of this stage where people are just hacking their way in, you can get in with very little experience and ship something that moves the field forward. And I've just decided to dedicate a few months working on my own projects and exploring the space and trying to make something useful. And I'm super fortunate enough to be able to afford a couple of months unpaid work on some personal projects. I also work with a bunch of more established companies that I consult for. But for now, I'm just focusing on what I do best, I think, and what I enjoy best. And early next year, I'll figure out a longer term plan of like what to do next. But so far, it's been a lot of fun. I've met a lot of new friends. It just feels like my early teens getting in the internet and finding all these people and all these projects and shipping something interesting. So kind of enjoying this phase and then see what comes next.
0: I hear you. I've been in crypto while working a full-time job, and now it is my full-time job, and it does have that kind of level of excitement, and I'm really enjoying it. So going back to projects you guys are working on together, let's talk about nouns.sh. You guys want a mandated prop house round for an alternative client, so I would love to hear both of your experiences about your opinion on nouns, coming to the community about nouns, winning the prop house round, and where is this project that you guys got funding for at today?
1: hub brought me to the community i remember a year ago he sent me this link to this project and at that point we're still we in the like nft summer nft projects were crazy and he sends me the link of this pixel art that is stored on chain which i thought is cool but then it each one goes for like 100 plus eth and i was like what what is this but i guess hub can talk more about his involvement and how he got to the prop house stuff that we've built
2: Yeah, I feel like I've been following nouns for a long time. When we originally were exploring generative or NFT stuff in general, I think the concept of the daily auction that went forever with no cap was super compelling. And then to see the price and then actually take off was like a whole nother thing, like piqued my interest. But I don't know, I think the concept has just been super appealing to me. And I think we've talked a few times in the past, but I've always been looking for an angle for some way to do design. For nouns or like help out a lot of the prop house stuff, the smaller rounds, I don't really feel like they fit my skill set. You know, I could use some design work or couldn't really ship that because like I said earlier, I can do some engineering, but I don't feel comfortable enough building anything from scratch. And the mandate round came along, and that seemed to fit our skill set really well. Both Winter and I—we've been talking about nouns or just looking for some projects in general. And I think this came at like a perfect time when Winter was moving into his freelance career off of full time, and it seemed like a good opportunity for us to put our hat in the ring, see what we could do. So like I have always been really keen, like I said, to build something for nouns, and then. thinking about a different front end or a different way to serve the auction had been really compelling. I think. That plus some aspect of DAO management had kind of piqued my interest. And at the time, Little Nouns had been super hot. And I had been spending a lot of time staring at the auction cadence of Little Nouns and like looking at people's wallets and what they were doing and like their max bidding history and all that shit. So it felt like it was really compelling for that scene. It might work out for the OG Nouns. And I think that's where a lot of the design aspirations came from.
1: On the execution side of this, this was super funny because when we talked to a few nouns people about the scope of the project and what they kind of expect of it, it was clear that this is something very different from a traditional freelance work or some other things. Because in freelance or consulting, you would try to get into like, what is the success and how do they measure the success and try to like deliver something that fits these criteria with your own take on it. And, you know, you would have a much more defined scope versus nouns was like, Hey, we kind of want to attract talented builders to the space. Here is a small funding for you to work on this for some time and then just do what you think is right. And it felt very awkward at first. Like, I remember catching up with Hub after our meeting with some of the nouns people and we're like, What do they want? What do we do? Well, it's like, I don't know, we just do what we feel is right. So that's kind of what we did. Hard took lead on the design side of things. And we already had some concept of an idea of a professional focused interface where, like, instead of making it pretty and animated, etc., we focused more on the utility and show as much data as you can fit. Could be confusing at first, but as you get around, you kind of get a sense of the more global things, like better higher level outlook at how the auctions go around. And then on the engineering side, the thing that struck me was, hey, currently nouns have one front end. It's nouns.wtf obviously the contracts are all permissionless you could interact with them but if the main website goes down or like infura node that powers it goes down like the auction will stall like because most people go through that so to me as a project's health depends on this crucial piece of infrastructure it felt very obvious that hey our work should be to diversify nouns commitments to technology and make sure that we have something that first is professional looks good and works great but also something that can take that edge of just having a single website so my core assumption going in into the engineering work was like, hey, how can we design the architecture such that it's very resilient? So like if Infura goes down, it switches to some other providers. It doesn't depend on third party APIs to get this data because the third party's API can always go down or cut the access off, etc make it as fast as possible, as real time as possible, allow the architecture to show mempool transactions as they are going in, etc. So I've spent a bunch of time establishing this thing, making sure that the app can be deployed to any service provider and is not married to Vercel or something else, and that it's resilient and real time, and it has the data locally in the database itself that can run interesting queries, etc. So a lot of that foundational work was really fun to establish. We've obviously squeezed in a few UX details because, you know, we cannot not to and then another aspect that I have explored on this funding as well is auto bidder, something that feels really clear is the future is like a bot building for you and trying to get the best price of now as possible. You can see that the nav, noun's average value, is currently at 63 ETH. That means that if we take old treasury divide by number of nouns we have, we end up with like around 63 ETH. And yesterday, a noun sold for 56, which is way under that utility value. So I've built a bot. Currently, it's just using my budget, which is not enough to win a noun, but it can automatically place a bid at a specific time that you configure. And it can cost efficiently acquire a noun because it only bids the minimum amount. It's also permissionless in a way that when you put the funds in that bot, there is no way for us to extract those funds. If there is a smart contract that governs the access, etc. So this is a proof of concept. It's been peer-reviewed by my more experienced Solidity friends, etc. And we feel like it's a good mechanic for other DAOs to acquire nouns or for some whales to acquire nouns if they don't care about traits or something else that they just say i want to deploy 200 ETH into nouns and try to get me the best price possible in this time frame so we feel like it's the future if you look at the space overall with MEV and other things this opportunity attracts bots and other automated solutions to the problem So basically, Nouns as Sage started as these designs for data-packed Nouns and then evolved into the resilient front-end and back-end plus the bot work that we have explored. I had a ton of fun doing this. Freedom of choosing our own adventure was really fun. and I feel like Nouns as an ecosystem would benefit from these tools, and we couldn't have promised these tools when we started. We have explored them and found them and worked on them as a process. This has been fun and working, and I feel like it's useful already. So yeah.
2: We should touch on the pick your own journey thing, because I think that was pretty novel for us. I remember early into the conversation when we were talking about doing the mandated round, it was like, oh, yeah, you get a month, there's some funds, try building something in a month, and let us know sort of what comes out of it and like where you got. It. And I think we're so used to client work. We thought of this as client work, client schedule, you know, we make a prop on prop house. Funding closes, we win that and it's like, cool, what are the check-ins in the next month? What are our deadlines? And like what are we showing each couple of weeks as like a stand up routine? I think that sort of was intimidating for us maybe not intimidating is the right word, but that made us hesitate a little bit just because of our timelines and know how much we could commit right away to the project. But that's not really how it worked. It was more pick your own journey. You give funding and we expect you to show up and build something and produce from that, but it's more on your own timeline. And that month from now that it's due is put a month into it and show us what you can do with that timeline. And I think that flexibility was really key for us to actually commit to this.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And like with the typical client works on the higher level, the clients don't know what they want, right? They hire you to figure out what they want. And you figure this out through dialogue. And you always have a stakeholder, like some CTO of a company wants you to like establish their smart contract team, right? Like, and they don't know what this means. So you talk to them and you like figure out what's the goals for the business and blah, blah, blah. And it's always a conversation versus with nouns. It's a DAO, it's distributed, right? Like you can talk to people, individuals, but overall there is no single stakeholder that holds the general sort of summarized opinion of a DAO. And it's not even feasible or economically, but also time commitment feasible to get an average understanding of who thinks what. So essentially. Essentially, it ended up us trying to figure out what nouns need without actually talking to the noun stakeholder, right? We kind of followed our own nose. We built a UI that we are proud of, that we think shows a high level of things. But we also took some time to explore other things that we think would be very valuable to the project ecosystem as a whole. And that was pretty novel. That felt uncomfortable at first and then really fun at, towards the end. But also now in the client work, there is usually a of stuff where you like deliver something, give a report or give a of code or architecture or anything that the clients accept and it's like it feels like a completed transaction versus nouns they're more open-ended what happens next well we don't know do we continue this exploration do we file for another round of funding or wrap this up and leave it to the community to develop further it's not specified right and this is definitely novel to us yeah
0: i love this moment i love this realization i love this story Because it's what hooked me early on. And it's really funny when people make this connection. (laughs) There's no nouns, prop, operations. There's no HR. (laughs) There's no follow-up. No one's going to check in or demand. You know, like you won a prop house round and you were one of four winners, four or five. And these are experiments. There were three or four other people that won these alternative front end lots of ETH to go experiment. And I love this part of it. There are talented builders you got the ETH immediately as soon as you won. I mean, maybe the next day, but there's no half up front. There's no show as proof of concept. There's no handover code. You just get it. There's trust that you're going to deliver because in this space, it's all about reputation. And you delivered an amazing product. Where it goes from here was kind of either up to the community. There is a little bit of just like waiting for organic response. People may hate it. You may get no users. It may become the new preferred front end. For me, it's the front end I go to because I love the data aspect of it. I love the look of it. It's very new. As far as front ends go, we see a lot of things that are like, quote unquote, like nounish in their design. And this is not. It's new. And to me, it's, you know, more interesting. And so I love looking at all the data points. It's really cool to see... If a bidder is bidding a bunch, you have number of bids. You have the number of nouns that they own. People really seem to care about the number of nouns. And then all these other little surprise and delight things like we talked about are just littered throughout this app. But I love this moment of handing over the ETH And then just letting the builders build. And then I think the best idea will win, as always. I think it'll just rise at the top, but there's less maybe just interference, I guess. And I think you guys have a great product to show for it. And the auto bidder is really interesting too, which kind of reminds me to the beginning of our conversation. What if other DAOs end up using this? Like, What if no one uses your client, but you built an auto bidder? And then people just was like, hey, thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate this. I'm going to use this to acquire a noun or multiple nouns or whatever. It's just funny.
1: Yeah, I mean, goes back to the conversation we had in the beginning of this hour, which was, hey, there are some side quests that end up being more important than the primary quest that you have. And I feel like this is totally fine. This is how things work. And to me, it doesn't feel like we wasted work on something else. It feels like it's great that we discovered these things and some of them might be more useful to others than others. And you never know in the beginning upfront, making this analysis itself would cost at least as much as building the thing and shipping it and getting people to sort of use it. So that's been great. To your point about receiving ETH and now it's trust-based, honestly, as like ethical builder, it's a lot of stress because now every time I second-guess in myself was it worth this much for this work or should I stop? And this adds some anxiety and some stress to the process where like, hey, now I got this fund upfront and now we need to deliver. And like, I feel responsibility, I guess, for this fund and responsibility to deliver something useful. And I guess on the high level of developers and designers, you get this throughout where like the funds, when they get in, you're like, I don't know, this trust has a lot of weight to it. It's a lot of responsibility that you accept which is a double-edged sword and have to know how to deal with that as well.
2: Yeah, I imagine that's especially heavy because it was a mandated round, which is sizable compared to most prop house rounds. But I tend to agree there was a little added pressure there. And I think the time frame of a month was part of the pressure because you set up a lot of the root infrastructure and foundational stuff. And that's like, shit, is that worth it? Or do we spend more on the more visible aspect of it, the front end and some of the stuff that you've mentioned, the polish and all of that.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of that is just because it's new, I'm not taking away from your feelings. <laughs> if you felt stressed, you felt stressed. But just from being around nouns from the beginning and seeing a bunch of props, I don't even know that I would worry too, too much about the timeline thing. I don't remember if you set that timeline because you guys were part of the first mandated round, right? I don't remember if we set that month timeline or if you guys were like, we'll do it in a month. But at the end of the day, no one's going to care that much. I mean, trying to set some checks and balances but like no one really cares if it takes a month and a half for two months i think they just want builders to build cool stuff right
1: i guess a month was like our own mental math calculation of like if we take this as a contract work this is how much hours we would spend and like it felt good to set a deadline because that sort of just forces you to prioritize stuff you could carried away by one thing or another thing, but like if you have a time pressure, at least even self-induced, at least it gives you an ability to make that trade-off, right? Like, do I put in this little detail? Do I refactor this code? And we didn't have explicit goal of open sourcing stuff, so we got in some fun details, but on the expense of the code just not being as clean as it could have been if we wanted to open source it. So that month uh, deadline was kind of a good forcing function for us to make these hard calls and prioritize things.
2: Yeah. And like I said before, a lot of that stress is probably related to us and usually expecting some of these deadlines and check-ins and more typical client-based structure that this is brand new for us.
0: Yeah. And for the record, you're not the first people I've had very similar conversations with. So yeah, maybe it's something we can work on our end. But I know that like from now the side, they don't want to manage, right? That's the trade-off. The opposite being someone breathing down your neck, being very wary of where our funds are going and checking in way too much. That's stress on the
2: other side yeah totally get it we appreciate the flexibility but at the same time i think we're just a little not super used to
1: it but i guess it's with the experience it comes through like now it feels a little more natural and like if i were to advise a new company going in this i would have a ton to talk to them about and like give them some advice but also like going to some other projects that are maybe dao funded now and so other daos right now having that experience it gives me some reference points and some strategies to work forward yeah
0: totally because say you were to work on an official announced proposal it's the opposite you guys would write exactly what you would do when you would do it you can have checkpoints of half up front half at the end that kind of stuff so prop house just kind of flips it on its head and does things a little backwards there
1: which is fun like i love this aspect of web3 and crypto in general is like people are open to experiments and they try things out so i feel like it's great
0: yeah As we're wrapping up, I feel like we could talk for another two hours, (laughs) to be completely honest. There's a lot of things I still want to talk about, but I'd like to hear maybe what else you guys are working on or want to kind of plug. I feel like I want to know more about the Solidity Guild, Winter, that you're a part of. I know you guys do contract audits, etc. And it's this group of devs. Can you kind of touch on what that is, maybe who's in it and what you guys do?
1: So I discovered them maybe a year ago, early in my Solidity January. And at that point, I felt like I outgrew the big servers like developer DAO or crypto devs. Those servers have thousands and thousands of people. And with time, it felt like they used a QA or like a stack overflow of people trying to resolve their problems. But once you know enough solidity, like this type of questions are just less interesting, I guess. And you want to form a deeper connection with other developers that are building some interesting things. So I found Solidity Guild through a friend of friend. And at that time, it was you know, maybe like 50 people, maybe less than 50 people. And they were all in the same spot in their Ethereum rabbit hole that I was. Some of them working for big tech companies, Google, Figma, etc. And exploring crypto on the side, shipping their NFT projects. And I remember I asked some very nuanced question and got very nuanced response. And I felt like it's my people. Like it, it instantly sort of clicked with me like, oh, hey, this is my tribe. And early on, I suggested a way for us to learn stuff from each other by roasting each other's contract. It comes from the Reddit's idea of roast me or something where somebody comes in and trying to be vulnerable and people throwing insults at them. And I wanted the same thing, but for code where like you post your contract and then others would pick at you and try to find some, not necessarily audit level vulnerabilities, but some other opportunities to improve your style. And I felt like I've learned a ton from them. I've done a ton to other members. And now I'm experimenting with on Twitter where like every other Friday, I post this thread where people can send their contract and I would roast them. For them, find some interesting things in them, and I feel like it's a very fun and practical way to learn stuff. Solidity Guild is changing, though. We are trying to make it more of an official work setup where people can hire us to build their contracts or audit their contracts. Help out with other full stack stuff. We will have onboarding stuff where like new people can join, and we will invest time in making sure they are on the right track, etc. So there is a lot of interesting, exciting plans for Solidity Guild. And yeah, it's a nice community.
0: And so, if Solidity Dev is listening, how can they join or
1: get involved? So, first of all, yeah, follow the Solidity Guild Twitter account or reach out to me. We will be announcing something maybe in a month or a couple of months where we'll have a more sort of developed onboarding program because for now if we just like we used to do that for a little bit where we would add people who are just interested and they just didn't feel as connected to the community as the early members so we kind of wanted to make this a thoughtful process we don't want this to turn into a thousand member group but instead we want to keep this vibe of help and, and very thoughtfulness and the sense of your tribe but we also want to grow i guess slowly and more deliberately So yeah, follow the Twitter account. We will definitely have some interesting announcements there. The Twitter itself is not super noisy, so you can even subscribe to notifications when new tweets are out. And we'll definitely have something soon.
0: And then have anything else you're working on or want to let people know about or something we didn't cover?
2: I don't have any projects really going on on the side right now. So let's plug Rainbow Kit. Everybody should use that. Honestly, if you're building a new project, use Rainbow Kit. It'll be the best way to connect. We love Rainbow Kit. And I appreciate it. everybody who does, because I like connecting from my mobile phone and Web3 modal. And I love that makes it quite a shit opportunity to do that. So please, Rainbow kit it up.
0: Yeah, I bought my first ETH on Rainbow. Rainbow was my entrance to all of this. So always going to be grateful. And then where can people find you online?
2: I'm on Twitter at Oxtab. I'm not very active, but if you can find me there, I'm just pretty quiet. I don't post much.
1: Yeah, I'm winter underscore if hopefully the link will be somewhere in the episode, but it's winter as in W1NT3R underscore if. Again, the name squatters are doing their job. And yeah, I tried to be active on Twitter. I changed the way I tweet from my personal account to this alt account. And uh, with alt account, I'm just trying to be more open, sharing everything that comes my way and everything I feel like is exciting. And I have all the links there. So it's a good entry point.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Thank you both for being here. I feel like we could have kept going. We'll have to do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, it was really fun and huge props to CDT because before this episode, he posted the outline and he knew everything about us. He collected all the little bits of information through all the small corners of the internet to sort of have a list of topics to talk about. And it makes such a huge difference. So if you are trying to start your own podcast, take note because this strategy is, is really cool. And I felt really welcome here and I felt the conversation was really great. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I echo that. Thanks for having us. And uh, I'm also surprised we didn't talk about PropHouse a little bit. I know, I know. I wish we had
0: two more hours to do so, but we'll have to do a round two. There's so many projects we didn't really get into, but PropHouse will go live, I think, very, very soon. And so we'll have to do a follow-up.
2: Yes, very excited for the new PropHouse design UX.
0: Yeah, well, thank you both and have a great day. We'll chat soon.
1: Cool. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Catch you later. Thanks.